I've had the opportunity over the last four and a half months to ride in a lot of Ubers. Um, that's what happens when you lose your driver's license. And um, each time I try to engage the driver in conversation and my sons who have ridden with me from time to time always kind of know that I have a little script I go to. You know, I ask how long they've been driving for Uber, how it's treating them, is it, are they making ends meet? And then I kind of get to the, do you have a family? Um, are you married? Are you supporting children? And this last week, the person who was, who, uh, who was driving, I asked him about a family and he said, yes, I have two daughters. And then he said, it was interesting, I've never heard anyone say this before. He said, I have two daughters and one of them is special. And just for a moment, I was a little taken aback that only one of them special. And then I understood what he was saying. One of them has some significant health challenges. And the rest of the trip, he spent talking about his daughter. His daughter had been born um, with hydrocephaly, and so her head was outsized, and it's caused significant uh, intellectual challenges for her. She's nine years old. She's in a wheelchair. She can't walk. She can only say two or three words. But here's what impressed me. And here's what caught my attention. This dad had so much joy in talking about his daughter to the point that we're driving through traffic and he's trying to both follow ways and pull up videos of his daughter on his phone <laughs> to show me as we're driving. Truly, truly. And I, I, I loved it. And he was, there was one video he showed where she was in her wheelchair in the Atenji vans um, that the government provides. She was on her way to physical therapy and he was with her. And he had already told me she only says two or three words. But he was filming her and he asked her, who, who is daddy? You know, cadê o papai? And she just, with this huge smile, just said, papai. And looked at him, Daddy. And you could just see on his face the, the joy that he received from that. But it was also clear that the situation of his daughter had caused a lot of grief and pain and suffering for he and his wife and, and their extended family along the way. And I share this story with you to illustrate the fact that joy is not the same thing as happiness. Happiness is based primarily upon circumstances. So when things are good around me, I might be happy. When they're bad, I might be unhappy. But according to a biblical definition of joy, joy is a delight in life that runs deeper than pain or pleasure. So let me state that again. Joy is a delight in life that runs deeper than pain or pleasure. It's, it's a quality of life. It's not just a fleeting emotion. So a person who is grieving can still experience joy. A person who's suffering can still be joyful, again, because joy is deeper than just emotion. The angels told the shepherds, and in case you had never heard that before, you heard it this morning, the angels told the shepherds that they were bringing good news of what kind of joy? Good news of what kind of joy? Yeah, that was convincing. <laughs> great. It was great joy. 
angels brought great joy. Good news of, okay, now, <laughs> I don't do this often. I'm going to ask you to say it with me convincingly. Good news of great joy. Great joy that would be for some people. Yes? All. All people. Think about that. Think about that statement for a moment. Good news of great joy that would be for all people. If what the angel said was true, that means that joy is available to you and you and you and you and you, and you to, to, to all of us. And that is good news. Because people are desperate for joy. As they, even as they're desperate for peace, we talked about this last week when we lit our peace candle. They are desperate for joy. And this morning as we consider joy, I want us to look at the person of Mary and examine her song of joy. Where did her joy come from? What did it look like? How did she receive it? And might it provide for us some clues today as to how we might choose to pursue true and lasting joy? So I'll be reading Mary's song from Luke chapter 1. This song is often referred to as the Magnificat. It's a song in which Mary glorifies the Lord. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 46. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has filled up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said, to our fathers. The first quality of Mary's joy that I want us to grasp, and this should not come as a surprise to any of us, but it's that her joy came from God. That is where Mary found her joy. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices. That word rejoices, we could also say that it means finds in my spirit, finds its joy in God, my Savior. So far this Advent, we've embraced hope and peace, both of which we already saw are found in only one source, God himself, and joy is no different. So Mary begins her song affirming that she finds joy in God, and the rest of the psalm is exclusively about the many things that God has done. I tried to emphasize the word he and his every time in the reading so that we see Mary's focus and attention is on God. Maybe, perhaps more than, than any of the other blessings, we seek for joy in places other 
than in God. And part of that might be because we confuse joy and happiness. And for those of you who are citizens of the United States of America, you may have grown up thinking that the pursuit of happiness is a good thing, that it's enshrined as one of your rights, but I don't see that reflected in Scripture. I don't see that the pursuit of happiness is, a, is either a right or a virtue. And if we look at experience here on earth, we will see that if happiness is our goal, then we will never reach it. It's like being on a hamster wheel. And I don't know how many of you know what a hamster wheel is, but in hamster cages, sometimes they'll have a wheel and the hamster gets on it. It's for exercise, right? It's kind of like treadmills for adults, except we have the option of turning it off and we actually know that we're not going anywhere. But the hamster gets on this wheel and it runs and runs and runs and runs faster and faster and faster and never goes anywhere. And that's like a pursuit of happiness. If happiness is our goal, we're going to be on this treadmill, on this hamster wheel that's exhausting. It drains our energy, our peace, and our strength. And yet we keep repeating that pattern over and over and over again. From where I live, coming to church, one of the, the routes that I can take is down a stretch of road called Avenida Atlantica. Some of you are familiar with that area. There is no place that I have found that is more depressing to me than early Sunday morning driving down Avenida Atlantica. There's a stretch there where it's one boachi after another, one nightclub after another, and um, you see the wreckage of lives early on Sunday morning as these people have come out of these, these clubs and are trying to get home. People who have wasted their time and their money and their sleep and their virtue and their souls in just this reckless driving pursuit of happiness. And you can watch them, you can see them, that they're exhausted and drained and empty and oftentimes can't even walk or at least not walk straight and perhaps even ashamed. But you know what? In seven days, they're going to do it again. And they're going to try it again. And joy is going to be just as elusive as it was today. So we are invited, along with Mary, to find true joy in the only place that it's available, and that is in God Himself. To embrace His truth and His presence. And being renewed in the joy of the Lord has the opposite effect from the pursuit of earthly happiness. If the pursuit of earthly happiness leaves us exhausted and strung out and empty, what does the joy of the Lord do? Do you remember when Nehemiah is speaking to his Israelites when they're in the struggle of trying to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the wall around the city, he says to them, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So joy, the joy of God, strengthens, builds up. The pursuit of happiness leaves us empty and wrecked. And note that Mary rejoices in God, her Savior. 
let's never forget that the deepest foundation of joy is that God has saved us. If you are a child of God, if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you have surrendered to him, if you have repented of your sin and accepted his sacrifice on the cross for you, you are saved. And that should be a joyful truth. Now we might ask, how is it that this avenue of joy was opened into Mary's soul. She finds it in God, true. But there are choices that Mary made along the way that have opened up a conduit of joy into her heart. Now I want to be clear about something, given the, con- given the context in which we live. Mary is a human being. She's a woman. She was a sinner. She was not conceived immaculately. She was under the curse of original sin, just as every other single person has been. At the same time, she was chosen by God in a unique way and blessed uniquely to be the mother of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But it's interesting that she gave birth to her own Savior, She needed to be saved as well. And today, what do do we learn from Mary? One of the primary pictures of Mary is that she is held up for us as an image, not of the church, but of what the church should be because Mary says yes to the life of Christ in her. In a literal, physical sense, she says yes to God when he offers to plant the life of Jesus Christ, his son, in her. And that should be a picture for us, the church, to say yes to the life of Christ in us. And that's the first conduit that we see that Mary has opened into her soul. And I call that surrender. You've heard this before. When Gabriel the angel tells Mary about Jesus about the fact that God has chosen her, that she will become pregnant without sexual intimacy, that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her and that her child will be called the Son of God. How does Mary respond? I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. This is the context of her song. There's no way that Mary had time to process everything that the angel said before giving her answer. Think about that for a moment. This was not a situation where Mary could say, wow, that's crazy. Can I get back to you in a week, Gabriel? I need to think, I need to pray about this, right? I need to pray about this before I give an answer. I'll get back to you in a week. Can I have some, can I make a pros and cons list? Can I seek advice? No. It was an immediate attitude of surrender to the will of God for her life and the life of Christ living in her. And the joy that we see in Mary came in part as a result of this willing surrender to God's plan. The more that we grow in our willingness to submit and surrender to God's will in our lives, the more our joy will grow. Through surrender, so by saying, not my will, but yours be done, we create space in our souls for the joy of the Lord to take root and grow. 
On the other hand, if we're consistently resisting and fighting against God's will, how could his joy grow in us? When I was a young child, I really wanted to go swimming. I I loved the concept of it. There was only one small detail. I was afraid of water. I wasn't afraid of water as long as it was only touching my feet, but as it would come up higher, even up to my waist, I would freak out and I, I, I could not enjoy it. I would not enjoy it. And I would watch my older siblings swimming and splashing around in the deep end of the, of the pool. And I wanted so much to have that joy of swimming, but I was way too terrified of the water. Fear, I, I think, is the most powerful deterrent to surrender. We're afraid of a lot of things. I don't, I don't need to enumerate everything for you that causes us fear, but when we talk about surrendering to the will of God in our lives, surrendering to the life of Christ in us, we're afraid of losing autonomy. We're afraid of losing control. We're, quite frankly, afraid that God is going to ask us to do something that we don't want to do that God might actually lead us into suffering, that he might lead us through the valley of the shadow of death, that he might lead us into and through pain. So surrender, we're afraid of that because we want to determine where we want to go and what we want to do. So is there a specific situation in which you're convinced that you know God's call on your life, but you're resisting and fighting him, you're you're resisting his will? It's time to say, Father, I accept and embrace your will. I accept the life of Jesus in me for the joy of the Lord. But there's something further that Mary also chooses. She chooses surrender, and then she chooses belief. After Gabriel has visited Mary, and after her pregnancy has begun, Mary goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth is an old woman, and I'm sorry, that is not a politically correct way to describe her, but it's the way the Bible describes her. She's an elderly woman who is way past childbearing age. And you, you, know, you know the story. Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. And that in itself is a miracle also. God has mercy on Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And in their old age, he gives them a son. Incidentally, a little bit of Bible trivia. Who was the first person to recognize Jesus as the Messiah? John the Baptist. When? In his mother's womb. Think about that for a moment. I've never been pregnant. I look like I am, but I've never been pregnant. (laughs) I don't know what it's like to have a baby moving inside of me. You mothers out there do. But the text says in Luke that when Mary approached Elizabeth and when the baby heard their greeting that he leaped in his mother's womb. Again, I've never experienced that. I know that, that women talk about their babies kicking and, and you know punching and moving around, but leaping. 
And what do we normally associate that word with in the English language? Leaping for joy. I mean, I, I don't know what was going on in little infant John the Baptist, but there was joy. Joy that goes way beyond. He, we, this is not an intellectual thing. This was deeper than that, where he recognized the presence of the Son of God, his cousin, and he leaps for joy. So Mary and Elizabeth greet each other, and Elizabeth speaks prophetically to and about Mary. And she says this, Blessed is she, meaning Mary, blessed is she who has believed that the, what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. If surrender to the will of the Lord was a conduit of joy into Mary's life, then so was trust in the word of the Lord. She chose to believe that what the Lord had said to her would be accomplished. As we apply that today, there are two ways I want us to apply it. First of all, is to acknowledge that belief is a choice. It's not something that happens to us beyond our control. First of all, to believe, to choose to believe that God's plan is good. A consistent accusation of the enemy of God's people against us and against God is that God's plan for us is not good. It's from the Garden of Eden. That's when he first started. And he challenges Adam and Eve. He said, really? Did God really say that? Listen, God's not trying to protect you by telling you not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God is withholding something good from you. So this is not a new temptation. It's not a new accusation. But we often face that. I think many of us face that consistently. God's plan is not good. We don't trust. We don't believe that when he says he works all things together for good for those who love him, we don't believe that. Now, if I say to my wife, close your eyes and open your mouth, she'll never do that. <laughs> may have something to do with in the past. I may have done something unpleasant in that regard, but maybe. But she, why? She doesn't trust me in that context, right? Why? Past experience would lend her to think that maybe I'm not trustworthy. Whereas God... So to, for God to say to us, he doesn't say it literally, but to say, close your eyes and open your mouth. I want to give you something good. We're like, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. I don't trust, I don't believe that what you're going to give me is really good. Now, I'm not denying in this that, that this life will not contain pain and suffering and loss and grief. Not saying that at all. But if we choose to believe that God's plan for us entails our final and ultimate good, and that it's the best good that there could be for us, we won't have his joy. The second challenge to belief is to believe that God's plan will happen. This is what Elizabeth specifically says about Mary. That blessed is she who believes that the, what the Lord has said to her will come about. 
So we might have trouble believing God's faith, um, rather God's plan is good, and then secondly, have trouble believing that God's plan will actually happen. If anyone in all history would have had room to doubt this, wouldn't, would it not have been Mary? I mean, I, let's just be honest. If, if, if a woman comes to me in, in, in my role as a pastor and says, I really need to talk to you about something, I'm pregnant, and I've never been intimate with a man, and I've had no artificial procedure done, I'm not believing her. I'm not going to believe that. Would you? So now Mary has had this incredible experience of an angel appearing to her and said some pretty remarkable things were going to happen. That would stretch belief in anyone's mind. And we might find that to be miraculous, but the other side of it is that salvation from sin and death is not really any less miraculous than a virgin pregnancy and a virgin birth. When we read the promises of Scripture about God's love and salvation and His care, His faithfulness, His grace, His mercy, there are times that we might think it applies to others, but not to me. But God's promises are for all His children. His plan will come true. Believing Him and trusting Him is an avenue by which He plants His joy in our hearts. It's a choice. So back to the whole swimming thing again for a moment. My siblings tried to help me another way. They, they got a life jacket for me and had me put this life jacket on. And then they tried to get me to jump in the water. Look, you're wearing a life jacket. You're not going to sink. You can float. I would not do it. My brother took the life jacket off of me. He put it on himself and he jumped in the water and showed me, look, I'm floating. It's fine. You can do this too. You can enjoy this too. He got out. He put the life jacket back on me. My brother and sister dragged me to the edge of the pool. They were about to throw me in. I was screaming and yelling in terror and fear, and somebody rescued me. I don't know. I don't remember who it was. Why? I didn't trust. I had seen that this float thing worked. I had seen that the other people wearing it didn't sink and didn't drown. I didn't trust. And my refusal to trust that life jacket meant that I did not receive the joy of swimming. In Romans 15, 13, Paul does us a great favor because in just one verse, he includes three of these words that we are celebrating at Advent. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. That's a, that's a, what a great blessing. What a great blessing to speak over anybody. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Then there comes the next phrase, as you trust in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. For what purpose? So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. But what we see here emphasized by Paul is that joy and peace both are received into the human soul in part through trust in God. The last choice that, that Mary makes 
to open space for joy in her heart is the choice for gratitude or gratefulness. This whole psalm is focused upon everything that God has done. The blessings that he has given to Mary specifically and then more broadly to the nation of Israel. That's not our normal human tendency to focus on our blessings. Usually we focus on our wants, on what we don't have, on our needs. So we focus on the things that we have about which to complain. And if you think that that is actually the opposite, it's the antithesis to joy. Complaining, grumbling, and discontent. That's the opposite of joyfulness. And Mary could have done this. She could have complained about all the challenges and burdens that the life of Christ in her was causing. The inconvenience. We've already talked about, I already talked about the, the judgment of society. I wonder, I don't know, how many people actually really did believe that the birth of Christ was a virgin birth at that time in that context, even within Mary's family, within their broader circle of friends or society? Or did it just come to the point where Mary was just like, I'm not even telling people anymore. You know, I don't just let them believe what they're going to believe because it doesn't make any difference. The judgment of society, the strain on her relationship with Joseph. And we know from Scripture that Mary suffered. When Jesus was circumcised in the temple, when he was eight days old, the prophetess Anna spoke a prophecy over Mary saying that the sword was going to pierce Mary's heart as well. As she watched her son grow and she watched him take on, step into his ministry as the redeeming son of God, and go to a crucifixion. And Mary, as a mother, to watch that. Mary suffered. And in suffering, I think in particular, we often lose sight of gratitude. But God builds joy in his people through gratefulness. And we enact the discipline of thanking God for all the blessings he has given. And then we go one step further. And this is a hard, this is hard to even talk about. But by faith, children of God can even thank him for the trials and pains of this life because he's using them all for his glory and our ultimate good. James opens his epistle by saying this, consider it pure joy. I like that. Pure joy. Bring it on, James. I am with you. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Brothers, church, children of God. I love that. I love that community. Pure joy, community. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. James, you lost me. I'll go with you up to the brothers part, but when you get to the trials of many kinds and you're telling me that I'm supposed to consider that joy, sorry, buddy. And again, I said this is, a, this is because it's a call by faith. How do we consider suffering and pain joy? That's divine gift. There's only one way we can do that. There's only one way. There's no other way. There's no other answer. 
It's only through faith in the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. It is only through faith that these, the suffering and pain and trial is going to yield a harvest of goodness at some point. If you lack joy, if your life is characterized by joylessness, perhaps we can start by instituting a discipline of gratefulness and thankfulness. Whether it's making lists, whether it's speaking out loud to God the things for which we're grateful, whatever it may be, that is one of the avenues to joy that we can open into our hearts for the joy of the Lord to rest in us. So just to bring this to a close, do you realize that God's desire is to bless you with deep, lasting joy? Do you think that God's will for you is to be a complainer and a grumbler and a malcontent? It's not. He wants his fullness of joy for us. And he knows that joy will be our strength. That's why Jesus was born. That's why he came into the world to a people walking in darkness. There comes good news of great joy. Let's choose it. To the point that it's up to us, let's choose his joy. Choose to find our joy in him. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't enjoy life. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy a good meal or enjoy friendships or enjoy hobbies or activities. That's not what I'm talking about. But that's not where we go for our meaning. That's not where we go for our everlasting joy. So the word and presence of God is our highest priority. Secondly, we say yes to God's will for us and the life of Christ in us through surrender. Thirdly, we believe, we choose to believe that his plan is good and that his plan is for me. And fourthly, we are grateful. We are grateful. Let's pray. Father, each of your children, each of us desires joy in the core of our being. And we confess that we so often short-circuit the true good joy that you offer. Lord, have mercy on us. Forgive us for settling for counterfeits and for things that leave us empty and exhausted. Turn our hearts, Lord, to you. Give us the grace, the strength, the mercy to choose joy. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth, for being born, and that your coming was good news of great joy.
for all of God's children. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.